focused on the pressing and emerging needs in human resources and learning and talent development. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Now, here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to this episode of Talent Champions. I'm thrilled to have Kristen Ribeiro. She's the head of employer marketing at Handshake. Handshake is a company that's a rising disruptor in the recruiting space. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks, Diana. Glad to be here. So maybe we should start with explaining a little bit about Handshake and what you do. Can you start there? So Handshake is the largest student career network in the U.S. We work with employers, students, and universities in a three-sided marketplace to really democratize opportunity and level a playing field that we feel is historically pretty biased. Um, What that means for our university partners is we power their workflow for all of the career-related activity like info sessions or career fairs on their campus. Um, For students, we're giving them access to uh, information, also really their first network. When you think about um, building up your own professional network, it's really their first place to go for for their network moving from college to career. And then ultimately, we hope to give students access to, you know, that opportunity in their first job or internship. Um, That being said, we work with uh, probably this audience, which is employers, to really help source, engage, and build their early talent and um, college teams. Maybe can you give us a little bit of background on how this got started? I thought it was just fascinating when I was listening to how you guys started this company and really how many people you have. You guys are pretty big now. Yeah, we've seen a lot of growth um, in the last year. And the way that Handshake started was actually through our founder and CEO's own experience in college. He went to school in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and it's cold and and. (laughs) wet and snowy out there and not a lot of recruiters came to his campus. He joined with our other two co-founders in the mission to really help democratize the access to employers when you can have employers historically recruiting at um, just their core schools, just their backyard schools. He saw and our founders saw a lot of inequity in that process where students weren't getting access to opportunity, um, weren't getting access to information. And uh, obviously without, you know, information and understanding of what's possible, you, you know, you don't know that you can go do that. So really the founding team um, took an approach that I think is frankly brilliant in solely focusing in the first basically three to four years of, of our company's history, building partnerships with our school and university partners. In the early days, they had signed uh, five in the first year. And, and I know those were um, very early believers in handshake on the um, career services side. And, you know, now we're at almost 800 university partners. And so now we have uh, just around 14 million students and young alumni on the platform across, as I mentioned, nearly 800 schools. Uh, and then on the employer side, we have about 300,000 employers using the product. 
Wow, that's really impressive. Just the numbers and the growth and, you know, how how the idea started. So definitely. So after looking at your LinkedIn profile, which was really impressive, one of the things that really stood out is you talk about being a customer first product marketing professional. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got in this position? Yeah, if I go way, way back in my early career, um, I actually started working in film, which is totally different than uh, tech marketing. (laughs) But one of the things that was really important to me back then and still holds true today is understanding the market or, you know, the subject in in when I'm thinking about working in film um, and being able to craft a really compelling story and and narrative around that understanding. Once I moved out of film and realized, you know, that that world wasn't for for me um, and moving into marketing, I realized that I wanted to take those skills and and that passion of mine with understanding, you know, subjects or groups of people or certain markets and then turn that into something that can really um, move other people into action. Um, and so, you know, my my later career after moving into tech has all been within that lens. So for me, I think of being customer first as, you know, really being the one who is on the front line, who is speaking to, in this case, employers, um, who is attending conferences, hearing what is happening in the market, and then being able to translate that into a story that people will want to attach their own passion and selves to. I've kind of moved uh, throughout my career in customer driven product marketing. And now at Handshake, we're growing the team to, you know, have a a fuller team around that. And so we now have a product marketing function on my team. um, And we have tons of user research going on, customer interviews, surveys, um, data analysis. and, And I think it's a really, you know, key facet of Handshake, that customer research feedback and validation is is key to everything we do. So I'm really excited to be able to to lead the team that is growing and and building out that function. Yeah, it's got to be exciting just to see the company growing so fast and and the things that you're taking on and you know what's new and what's coming up. Yeah, it's it's very exciting, and I will say, you know, I've definitely never been busier in my life, but this is absolutely the best kind of busy. When I think about coming into work every day and being able to actually make a dent on a very historically biased process, that's uh, that's all I need to you know keep me coming in here every day. So, so I think the the growth and in the company is super exciting and and for all of us here who do feel really passionately about our mission it's it's all that much better well as i interact with our talent champions one of the things i keep hearing consistently is you know this tight labor market and it's hard to recruit and i think back 30 years ago when i was in hr i was in charge of college recruiting and recruiting people because it was a tight market so you know many of our talent 
champions and leaders haven't had to go through this. So I love hearing about these, you know, new companies coming up and thinking about things being done differently, you know, and disrupting. So very excited uh, when I heard about Handshake. And every time I talk to somebody from your organization, and I learn a little bit more, and I get even more excited about, you know, what you're doing. So awesome. That's great to hear. And so you get a chance to interact with a lot of employers as that employer facing person from your company. Um, Are you hearing the same thing as far as concern for talent right now? And are there other things that you're hearing as far as opportunities? We are definitely hearing the same thing. U.S. unemployment is at a very low percentage. And and I think everyone's talking about that. And so this talent crunch has been around, I think, for the last 10 years or so, but it's it's heightened even now that the supply is there uh, and the supply is increasing and the actual candidates are now kind of in control here um, even more so. Uh, so I think it, it provides a, an interesting perspective to look at it that way. And it's certainly on um, the minds of all of our employer partners um, across the board and and frankly at all levels. So we get to speak just because of the labor market and and the workforce turning over a lot of, you know, um, a lot of the boomer generation and bringing in this new millennial Gen Z generation, we hear a lot of uh, commentary around the talent crunch. We hear a lot of commentary around employer brand in this new era and how how to work with essentially four generations in a workforce. And then, of course, how to attract and retain um, a very new generation that is brought up or was brought up, has been brought up totally digitally and, you know, who are digital natives. And I think the other thing we we hear a lot of is how, especially in um, early talent and, and university recruiting, is how that can be a really strong driver to help with your diversity and inclusion goals, strategies, um, and metrics. And, and I think, you know, that's something that um, probably wasn't discussed anywhere near like we're discussing it now 15, 20 years ago. As you're out there interacting with these other leaders and based on your experience and looking at, you know, the data and what's working, what's not, you know, how are these successful companies finding the talent, especially when their competitors have such similar needs? Yeah, I know. It's almost like nowadays it feels like every company is a tech company. So I'll give the example of, of recruiting for technical roles. It's not just tech companies that are hiring technical roles. You have all walks of industry hiring within engineering, within data science. Um, and it's really difficult because the other employers who aren't Google, Facebook, Amazon, Uber, don't have that corporate brand, right? They don't have that consumer brand, um, but they are absolutely trying to hire the same types of roles that those brands are. And one thing that we're seeing um, on, on our premium customer side is like a lot of banking and finance uh, customers are have like very big hiring goals in technical hiring. One example of a customer of ours is M&T Bank. They're headquartered up in Buffalo, New York, um, 
which according to them is, is a difficult location to hire new grads into. And I've never been there, so I can't comment on <laughs> what it's like or not. But I think one of the things that they're doing is um, starting to be more proactive with their engagement uh, with the student and early talent population. The old model was like, hey, we show up to a career fair and just hope that we speak with the right students. But the approach that M&T Bank is taking is, you know, yes, they still go to career fairs and events on campus, but they're being more proactive in the engagement before they do that so that when they actually do show up, they have a very curated list of um, qualified students who, who fit these roles and then have the skills they're looking for and, of course, want to work in Buffalo. Um, so that's one example you know, of, of something that proactive messaging and engagement that helps build brand before you even show up to campus. They've seen great results in that and in um, the increase in quality applicants and of course number of hires from Handshake. I think the other thing that I've seen um, and heard some employers do is really like try and understand um, sort of what I was talking about. And I think there's there's a lot of um, overlap between recruiting and marketing, frankly. I've seen other employers really try and understand the groups that they find priority for them and their company, and then branding yourself differently to those groups. You know, So another customer of ours, Raymond James, when they're recruiting in um, those technical roles and in IT, their brand is very much fintech. But then when they're, you know, recruiting into the more traditional like equity capital markets, then they brand themselves as the premier alternative to Wall Street, you know, and then they think about how they brand themselves to men versus women and then to historically underrepresented groups, getting to know the groups that are important for your company and being able to kind of agilely adjust your employer brand is is um, super important and, and what we've seen work for some of our customers. Agilely adjusting your brand so you make sure that you connect with the right audience and knowing who that audience is and having a relationship with them too. How do you really create a brand that differentiates you from others, especially a brand that recognizes the value of today's workforce? Yeah, brand can be such a tricky thing. It's almost like intangible, you know, it's not... It's not your logo, it's not your perks, it's not your compensation package, it's not even your founders or your executive team. For me, I always think of brand as a feeling and a trust almost in a company. One example I love to give because I love this brand is uh, Zappos. Zappos, I know whenever I order shoes from them, I know that I will be fully taken care of um, no matter what happens, they've really built a brand around the experience with their customer service team and random acts of kindness and like just ease of use. You know, for our employers building brand, I think it's really important to do the introspection internally because it's not, you know, it, what makes Facebook, Google, Amazon uh, cool and, and, you know, a shiny object isn't going to do that for another company. And that's because it's specific to the company's DNA. So I think it's really important to do that introspection and, and understand, you know, hey, for one of our, um, 
our big pharma companies, like they're doing a ton of stuff in data science. That is something that is now uniquely aligned to their talent brand. Um, And so I think it's understanding, you know, what, what is unique to you as a company. And then of course, that other piece I mentioned, how that will resonate with your your target market and what are the things that are important to that target market. This is something I do a ton of as I'm talking to VPs of talent acquisition and heads of campus recruiting. I need to understand and we as a as a company need to understand what's important to them, what keeps them up at night um, and then align our unique handshake value uh, to that. You know, a brand is a feeling and a trust in a company. And, you know, you just demonstrated so nicely you being focused on your customers and really focusing in on what they need and what they want. And and, uh, that expertise and uh, connection definitely comes through in in what you're saying. So thanks for sharing that additional information. Happy to. Yeah. So one of the other things that, you know, you started to mention a little bit about, you know, these four different generations in the workplace that are thinking and doing things differently. But the other thing that's so important in today's world is diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So how do you build a strategy, you know, that focuses in on diversity and inclusion? Because it's such an important thing. And if brands aren't doing this, they are going to be left behind. At least I personally believe that. I totally agree. There's there's so much evidence and research out there around how more diverse teams perform better. If you're not prioritizing this, um, something is wrong. If people aren't being thoughtful around how they create more diverse and inclusive cultures and workforces, that they will be left behind. Again, I think this is one thing that's really important to define for the company is like, What does creating a more diverse workforce mean for your company? For instance, for us at at Handshake, it's something that we have goals around, um, but we actually, like our gender diversity is pretty good for for a tech company. Um, And so when we think about diversity, we think about really bringing in more people of color into Handshake, really bringing in more people of color Um, into our leadership team. And then we think about diversity of teams and not just from a gender, ethnicity, um, race, or, you know, preference perspective. We also think about it in diversity of thought, experience, and background. When people start this conversation, and of course, it's hopefully being had already at, at a lot of employers, but I think it's important to define, you know, what that means for your company and where you're actually trying to move the needle. Some of the other things, you know, in, in thinking about how college recruiting and early talent recruiting can help with that, I think is really like starts from that, um, initial point of attraction, right? When I think about, I'm I'm a Latina woman, and when I think about my experience uh, applying to a company versus, you know, a Black woman's experience or a white man's experience is, is they're going to be three different experiences. And, and so I think, you know, a company needs to present from that point, first point of attraction, a brand that can resonate and feel... Um, inclusive to all those different types of audiences. Even as you go further 
you know, down the funnel, or if you will. Um, there's so much that should be looked at and can be done within job descriptions and the words you're using all the way to your interview process and how to have a more equitable interview process. Like within technical interviews, just being thrown a, um, a code challenge and you know not having any help or any guidance or context around that isn't how you know, your working life will be. So we've seen um, some of our customers, Box included, totally revamp that uh, code assessment process and, and have it mirror what it would actually be like working for Box. All the way to then, you know, having resource groups and communities around um, different areas. So for us at Handshake, we have, um, and our HR team has done an amazing job of setting the foundation for this. We have employee resources groups for uh, probably like eight different uh, communities. So we have our people of color group, we have our Latinx group, we have our women's group, we have our parents group, we have our um, mental health group, we have our LBGTQ group. Setting up this safe space for um, people who have been historically underrepresented and and having a community around that is really important. Um, And then, of course, getting feedback from those communities, because I think ultimately, you know, again, I'll I'll use myself as an example. If I don't feel comfortable as a, a Latina woman here at Handshake, but no one ever asked me, then that problem is just going to continue. No, I love that. I love your groups and especially that you have a parents group, you know? That's kind of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> in a younger group, that's kind of nice because, you know, that definitely challenges that come up in the more that you feel supported. And I, I love and I'm such a huge champion of everybody should be able to bring their whole self to work. And when they do, wonderful things happen. And, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter who you are, you should be comfortable. And I really believe those companies that make people feel comfortable and and are diverse and inclusive um, are going to continue to outperform, like you said, others, because it just is more fun to work there and people show up and bring their full brain and their ideas. So, yeah, it's so true. I, there's a fun story. One of our customers is the head of DNI at a tech company here. And she told me a story of her office being open for anything um, girly and anything women want to do, and men even too, of course, but she gave an example of uh, a couple of her colleagues coming into her office and, and sitting there and braiding each other's hair. And I thought like, wow, I've never seen that at any company I've worked for, but <laughs> that, like, that is so cool that you know, people feel comfortable. She's a, she's a VP level executive and people feel comfortable, you know, coming and showing up and saying like, Hey, yeah, I care about my hair and I'm going to take some time to like, you know, go prioritize some self care and, and then, you know, get back to work. But I just love that example. How fun. Well, one of the things that I was very impressed with as I was learning more about your company is how you make decisions and that you make data-driven decisions and that you coach your clients to do the same. So maybe can you give us a little bit more on how do you measure results and then make the best data-driven recruiting decisions? 
Yeah, I love this topic. And I think this is um, something, frankly, that in the last year uh, in working at Handshake, like I've been pushed to be a more data-driven marketer as well. And it's absolutely what we encourage our, our customers to do. A lot of decisions in employers around college recruiting and like what campuses they they recruit from, frankly, weren't backed in any data. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, someone was an alum here, maybe it was a C-level executive was an alum here, or someone else was an alum there. So we're just going to show up to these campuses and and continue to recruit there. So one of the things that we encourage our employers to look at, and, and we certainly can help them do that, is the actual performance of um, you know, number of applicants and, and then on their ATS side, number of hires from these campuses. And I think that's a, a great starting point to look at like, hey, how are we doing, you know, first of all, by looking at this data, should we still be going to these schools? Should we expand um, outside of these? So it's a good kind of like foundational data point to help back your strategy going forward. Um, some of the other things that we really encourage our, um, our premium customers to look at is the engagement um, from students in their proactive sourcing and messaging. So, you know, a lot of our, our premium employers are taking the approach that I mentioned M&T Bank does, where they um, proactively engage either to, you know, direct people to apply to a job or to attend an event. And so we have them look at the engagement rates of that messaging and then, of course, can help based on understanding how that engagement looks, we can help suggest some tips and tricks for, for improving the engagement rate. We also encourage them to, of course, look at, you know, part of that is the open rate of those messages. So um, Handshake's customers actually see around like a 65% message open rate, which, you know, again, for me as a marketer is a total pipe dream, um, but, <laughs> but um, we try to keep them around there um, and, then, and then check out if it's dipping, you know, what we can do. Um, some other data points I think that are, that are really um, important to look at is the number of, of job views and employer page views that they're getting. So, you know, if, if they're sending out a lot of emails, but not getting any brand page views, something, you know, is, might not be working there. And, you know, certainly when we talk about employer brand, the actual views of a, a brand page on Handshake can help measure that. It's one of the ways to look at that. The two other areas that are important are uh, diversity of your applicant pool. So, you know, we talked about DNI and how it's important. And, and, and I think this is a uh, a key part of that strategy is actually having a more diverse slate. Um, and then the other, uh, the other bit that we see a lot of our uh, employers who do have internship programs tracking is, of course, their conversion rates of those two uh, full-time hires. Great, great insights and advice for our talent champions. So if they're not looking at some of those areas, you know, I think you've uh, hopefully sparked some interest to maybe, you know, take another look or to expand how they are making some decisions by using some additional data. So great advice. Definitely. So let's talk about the college recruitment 
And how have you seen that it's changed? And I told you 30 years ago, my first job in HR was college recruiting. So I'd love to hear your perspective and how it's changed and maybe some additional changes you see coming. I would also love to hear how, you, how you know, it was done when you were in this role too. I think that's fascinating and probably still being done that way today. What I think I've, you know, heard a lot from our customer base and, and as I talk to employers is uh, college recruiting is obviously a function of uh, talent acquisition or recruiting um, and it is typically a smaller piece of the pie um, when you look at you know the comparison between that and experienced recruiting. And so I think the mind share historically of college recruiting in companies was not very large. I'm definitely seeing that change today. And I think, you know, to that point around like there, the multi-generations in the workforce and it being a very candidate driven market and, and the talent crunch, I think uh, college recruiting or early talent recruiting is taking up um, more mind share of of executives and um, employers than it typically has in in the past. You know, in terms of what I've seen change, um, that proactive engagement piece. So, you know, not showing up to campus, quote unquote, blind, as we say, um, where you just kind of like, again, show up to the to the campuses you've been recruiting at every every year because of some reason with a table um, like a banner stand uh, and just expect the qualified candidates to walk up to you. Um, so I think that move to proactivity is is a big shift. I think the other thing is just this idea of increasing your reach. Um, so employers increasing the reach of where they're recruiting from um, outside of the quote unquote core school list. Um, and, and, you know, outside of the backyard schools. So we're seeing, you know, a lot more of a broad reach across um, different types of schools across um, different states and cities in the U.S. Um, and then the other thing that kind of is tied into that um, is more of a virtual approach. The idea that this generation, when I say this generation, like Gen Z has totally grown up digitally native and is used to like, just-in-time information and, and everything at their fingertips. I think we're seeing employers um, take a, a more virtual approach in things like video interviewing, um, different screening tools, and then all the way to even events and, and hosting virtual events like a campus tour um, or our, our Customer Under Armour has a great video up on YouTube that has like a little tour of, of their office or uh, a virtual panel interview. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot of that. And then and the last little bit is, is what you and I have been talking a lot about is just the idea of like brand and marketing and moving into a little bit more of an intentional employer brand and, and strategy around that versus a, a haphazard reactive one. Just great advice. I mean, in, in, in regards to people that are listening, and maybe they haven't been doing some of those aspects. And we'll make sure as part of the wrap up of this 
episode that we, you know, we bullet point some of this information. If anybody missed any of it, you don't have to keep replaying. We'll have the information for you. So um, that's great. And and we don't even need to go what down the path in regards to what I was doing, because I think it fits in the category of showing up blind. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but I have a yeah, whole I mean, d- different perspective. What happens. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, so we've been talking about, you know, making the best decisions in college recruiting. Are there any other things that you would um, say those best employers are doing as far as making the decisions regarding their college recruiting efforts, efforts or strategy or anything else that you would share in that aspect? The one other thing that I, I would share is kind of this idea of that you and I just discussed around bringing your best self to work or to wherever. You know, we sort of have this view here where we don't think that um, the resume is necessarily the best asset to capture that quote unquote best self. We're seeing employers also recognize that and um kind of change the way that they, uh, some of their practices or some of the ways that they, um, you know, source and, and segment talent to be more skill-based, more assessment-based, um, and, and a bit more democratic versus, you know, have to have a certain GPA and X number of years in an internship. We're very much of the mindset that talent is uh, distributed equally um, and that sometimes opportunity is not. And so I think some of our, you know, forward-thinking, innovative employers are starting to ditch those um rigid requirements and look for, you know, skills that are that map to the role, uh, attributes that map to the role. I'm super supportive of that. And I think that opens up a lot more uh, reach for employers, a, l- a lot larger of a talent pool for them. I love how you were saying that I was just at a conference and we were talking about, you know, skills needed for the roles today and getting out of you need this kind of degree or this kind of experience and really looking at what somebody brings the skills they bring and and not overlooking that or screening out people because they didn't fit into this box. So I love how you brought that up. Yeah. So we have a lot of younger listeners I'm hearing from them that are aspiring to be talent champions in the future. So from the perspective of the resumes may not be the end all as far as making a decision. What advice would you have for those up and coming leaders that are still looking to land, you know, a great job where they can grow? You know, what should they be putting on LinkedIn or on their resume or, you know, advice that you have for the younger generation? Yeah, that's super important. What I would suggest is, you know, first of all, uh, don't be scared because I think a lot of this college to career um, process is super scary and it was super scary when I went through it and I, I know it's still scary today. Um, and, and I would also say feel comfortable asking questions about the process to employers um, because Truly, all of our customers love building relationships with um, the candidates that they talk to. And um, and part of that is giving advice in this area. Some of the stuff that we've seen uh, candidates highlight are those skills that, you know, maybe they they are getting in college or they're getting elsewhere, um, you know, skills around different coding languages. Maybe you taught yourself how to code. Um you know, different skills around um, communication, um, around building influence, 
I think the other thing I would suggest is definitely include any um, extracurricular activities. And that doesn't have to be, you know, again, job related or internship related. So if you're part of a club, if you're part of an organization, um, if you're in student government, like those are all great attributes that show employers, you know, leadership skills, uh, consensus building skills. So I would say definitely um, be sure to highlight those. Great advice. So any other advice that you would have to our talent champions based on what we've been talking about or anything else that's popped into your head that you'd want to share? Um, sometimes, you know, the thinking about revamping a, your strategy or on the flip side for your younger listeners, like thinking about applying to a job or internship just can I think feel like a big uh, task or a big initiative. And so my advice for anything, frankly, is like always chunk it up into little pieces. So, you know, if you're a student, you know, one first step could be looking at your handshake profile or even, you know, hopefully creating a handshake profile if you're at a handshake school um, and updating some of that information that we just talked about. Or if you're an employer, it could be, uh, posting your roles to an additional 10 schools outside of your of your core schools, always taking little steps and then, you know, showing results from that and expanding from there is always my guidance as I think about tackling something that can feel large. Great advice. One thing I love to ask my guests is, can you share a story maybe about a person who has impacted you both personally and professionally? And maybe, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today without this person's impact. Does someone come to mind? Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the listeners out there, I did prep for this question a little bit. Um, so it didn't just pop into my mind. I actually did do some You're some so thinking. transparent. <laughs> I know. I try to be. Um, I did do some thinking here. But, yeah, I think the person that I would mention is... Um, my first boss in marketing. So when I made that shift from film into tech marketing, uh, I worked for a woman who was, um, I think her title was VP of marketing at the time at, at an ed tech, another ed tech company. She really, really impacted me because she showed me, frankly, where I could be and, and, and how I could get there. And, you know, she was kind of we're very different people, but she was kind of like a, you know, a bulldog and wouldn't stop until she got her way. But it, it was amazing for me um, because she showed me that like, hey, I could, me as a 23 year old at the time, like I could be a VP of marketing eventually. And um, I think, you know, that really, really stuck with me um, and still does up until today. <laughs> Right. Well, Kristen, it has been just a pleasure interviewing you. I love your energy, your passion, and just your willingness to share your expertise with our audience. So thank you. Thank you so much. And the last thing I would ask is, how can people get in touch with you or learn more about some of the topics that you've brought up? Yeah, definitely. And, and again, thank you for having me, Diane. I really, really have enjoyed our conversation um, for anyone who would love to get in touch or learn more, our website is just joinhandshake.com. And then um, feel free to email us, um, employers at joinhandshake.com. And I regularly check that email too. So uh, don't worry, it's not going into a black hole. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say our website and email are, are the best places to start. 
Great. And are you on LinkedIn? Could people also um, connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah. If you just search, I think I'm, I should be the only Kristen Ribeiro on LinkedIn. Um, so happy to connect with anyone there. Great. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me, Diana. Please join us for the next episode of Talent Champions, where I will be talking with Cassandra Frangos, an executive development and C-suite succession advisor with Spencer Stewart, an author of the book, Crack the C-suite Code. I invited Cassandra to share some of her expertise in succession planning for our C-suite roles, and also, how do you climb that ladder yourself? If you're interested, please go to our website, talent-champions.com, and click on subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released, and you'll also receive special bonus content from my guest. That's talent-champions.com. Click on subscribe to receive email updates from Talent Champions. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show, please visit talent-champions.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcasts, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider.